And welcome back into the latest edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. George Bremer, Ryan Hickey here with you. All right, George, so you were at the Colts facility on Wednesday. We heard for the first time, at least since meeting the players, Shane Steichen meet the medium. We heard DeForest Buckner talk. We've heard Michael Pittman Jr. talk. I think there's some really interesting quotes and questions to discuss on this podcast uh, coming out of those media days. And let's start with this, George. DeForest Buckner, I thought some really interesting comments in terms of Someone, a reporter yesterday threw out the R word, rebuild. And he said, I hate that word. I do not want to hear the word rebuild. That that just makes my skin crawl. And so it kind of brings up the question and, and the discussion going forward here is, what is the direction of the Colts? I would think right now they're in a rebuild. DeForest Buckner clearly thinks that's not the case whatsoever. Here in DeForest Buckner talk, we'll get to Michael Pittman Jr. and Shane Sykin's comments as well here from Wednesday, George. But do you feel at least after kind of having the first few days of the Colts meeting and kind of getting together for the first time as a team, do you get the idea or do you get the sense that there's a unified direction of where this team is heading? No, I think that's been one of the biggest things for me uh, about this offseason. We've talked about it a couple times, you know, that they haven't really picked a lane. Um, you haven't seen them do a full, a full on fire sale and get rid of, you know, any of their, their aging assets and try to bring in draft picks and, and build that way. But at the same time, they haven't gone all in. You didn't see them, you know, make some major free agency signings, especially on offense. I, that that to me is the biggest surprise. Uh, this offense last year struggled mightily. Uh, I don't think that's breaking news to anybody. I don't think anyone's going to be stunned by that. I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that statement. Uh, they were thirty first or thirty second in pretty much all the major categories, the ones that really count: scoring and, and yardage and anything that that is production based. And I think even if you go into the advanced stats, they were well into the lower quartile of, of the league. Um, and you you look around at, you know, the offseason moves, what's changed on offense right now? We, we, we touched on this a little bit, you know, on, on the previous uh, pod this week. So if people want to go back to the Tuesday pod, um, you know, get a little more in depth on, on that discussion. But, you know, as we said then, it's hard to look at any area of the offense right now and say it's better than it was when they walked off the field in January with a loss to the Texans. The one thing that they're kind of counting on is, is the quarterback, you know, and that's what it feels like. It's all built around right now. If if you go back through Chris Ballard's comments throughout most of 2022, the, the thing he brought up first about why they were struggling was turnovers. And obviously a lot of that had to do with Matt Ryan you know, there's no 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 question about that. And all the quarterbacks really turned it over quite a bit while they were out there. Um, Ellinger waited until the last game to do it, but they all ended up having pretty pretty at least one bad game with with that with ball protection. Is that I don't know, you know, am I off base here or is that really seem to be what their primary focus has been? That they think they can bring in a quarterback, protect the ball a little bit better, and it's gonna fix most of the offensive problems. They're in Here's what I'll say. I would agree that right now their offseason moves have not shown you at least a true direction of where they're going because in one sense, you trade Stephon Gilmore. Okay, that should signal this team's going to try to tear it down. But then the next breath, Kenny Moore still on the team, even Ryan Kelly, a guy that has a high salary, is not right now, at least recently, last year and a half, two years, have played up to that salary. I thought they would be kind of... kicker. Yeah, right. I think, right. That, thank you. Right. You, you go all in on signing a kicker, which you would think would be a finishing playoff team caliber move instead you give the richest contract from a free agent to a kicker for a team that I don't I would say right now is bare minimum two years away from being legitimate playoff contenders but I think with when you look at the Colts roster I don't think there's that many areas in terms of you could actually tear down because they still have a lot of relatively young talent like even DeForest Buckner he said he doesn't want to rebuild and he said he kind of saw Stefan Gilmore um entering year 12 so uh, Buckner himself entering year eight, and he says, we're basically two different places in our career. I still have more time, essentially, where Gilmore's trying to win now. And he's 29 years old. I don't think there's a lot of moves you could have made to kind of really tear it down. Like, if you look at the Colts roster, yes, they are banking on a, a rookie quarterback to change things. I also think a lot of it is a belief in Shane Steichen to change things as well. And I like that gamble, because if you look at this roster, you're not getting rid of Jonathan Taylor right now, nor should you. 
You should not get rid of Michael Pittman Jr. You obviously have Alec Pierce just coming off a rookie year. You look at the offensive line, you're not getting rid of Quentin Nelson. You have Bernard Ryman as a, you know, a, a tackle right now. You start to believe in. You have Braden Smith, who is a rock at right tackle. You're not moving him. Again, Ryan Kelly, I think, is up for debate fair, and I would have traded him if I was Chris Ballard, but he's still, again, relatively young. And on the defense, you have DeForest Buckner, who's 29. You just, you know, you moved on from Unique Ngakwe, who was on the, you know, a little bit older, but again, you want to make move him or not bring him back because that's kind of more of a win-now move. Okay, you have Shaq Leonard coming back. You have a very young and inexperienced secondary. Like, I just think... In terms of ripping it down and going into what the Texans did recently in a full-on rebuild, I just don't think the Colts are there roster-wise because they don't have a lot of aging veterans, and they don't have a lot of guys that, frankly, have a lot of trade value outside of Jonathan Taylor, and I would not trade Jonathan Taylor. So like that's the tough part, I guess we'll say, in terms of direction, where I think right now, I guess I would call more of a retooling and putting your eggs and banking on the fact that Shane Sykin can get the most out of this rookie quarterback to where, again, not this year, not next year, but I would say at that point in 2025, you can legitimately consider yourself a playoff team. I guess if you're DeForest Buckner, if I was him, would I want to sit through another two years of figuring it out? Honestly, probably not. But he's also not right now that discontent. So I understand the direction is a little hazy just because of the way the offseason moves in one area would signal one thing and another area signal another. I just don't know what Chris Ballard could have done in terms of roster-wise to signal we're going all out in a rebuild because there's just not a lot of guys with value you can move on from and get, you know, in the span of an offseason, maybe three first-round picks for if you're just offloading everybody. That's a really good point, too. And, you know, after the Gilmore deal was done, trading Kenny Moore would have been devastating for this team. I mean, we, we've talked already about how thin the cornerback spot is. If you ship Kenny Moore off as well, you're even you're even in a worse spot there. Um, you know, to kind of carry on with your theme. Uh, so really, you know, Ryan Kelly, they've obviously got some belief in him that that he can get back to where he was. And I know he's one of the leaders of this team, uh, not just on the field, but, you know, he's on the executive board the, for the for the union. Um, you know, maybe maybe that played into a little bit. Not that you're going to keep those guys because of that, but the idea that I think there's a lot of respect in this locker room for him, that he's one of the guys that carries even – with his struggles recently that carries a lot of, of responsibility on his shoulders uh, in that locker room. Maybe that played into why he's still here. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in, if you look at the other sell-off moves, quote unquote, that weren't Stefan Gilmore, everybody knew Bobby O'Karake was not coming back. Right. Uh, that, that was, you know, that, that, that writing was on the wall with the money that they've already spent at linebacker, uh, how much a third linebacker is going to play in season and Zaire Franklin coming on the way he did. I don't think there was a path for bringing back Okereke. And even with Paris Campbell, in my understanding, that, that was more of his decision than, than the team's decision. Um, you know, that, that he was just kind of ready to move on, get some stability at quarterback, which I think is understandable. Um, so I don't know that, could you point to any other move on the roster right now that that was like a rebuild a rebuild kind of move? No, I I'm just thinking right now. Like, and honestly, if you just take away the Matt Gay move for a second, let's just pretend it didn't happen. Just put it off to the side. I don't think Chris Ballard has made a lot of moves that at least are indicative of hey, we're going for it. Mm -hmm. Which, in that sense, again, like when you look at the roster, I don't think. I don't think you have to strip it down, basically. I don't think you have to do what the Texans did and for like two years have a fire sale and trade anyone with value and rip it all down and get a million picks and hope to build it up. Let me ask you this, George, at least. Do you, do you buy that rebuilds work in the NFL? Like, do you buy that stripping it down to the studs, getting almost anyone with value off the roster and basically building it back up? Do you buy that that philosophy actually works in terms of creating a winning football team five years down the road? Yeah, it's 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 interesting, I think, because we haven't seen a whole lot of it. I mean, it feels like people talk about it more often than it actually happens. Like I'm trying to think the two that come to mind right away were the Colts in 2012, but that was even more salary cap driven. It wasn't a decision they sat back and said, let's just, you know, strip everything from the Manning era and restart you know, with, with this new head coach and new GM, 
they were in a really bad salary cap spot. And so it made financial sense for them to release or not re-sign a bunch of those guys. Um, so I don't think that was even a willing rebound. You know what I mean? That that was sort right. of forced by the, right. the economics of the league. So the only other one I can really think of is Miami, uh, which they're still going through. And I think the jury's still out on that one. They're definitely better now than they were when they started the rebuild, but I don't, they have one playoff appearance, I think during that stretch and they haven't won a game yet. Uh, Buffalo seems to be in control of that division. We'll see, you know, if they can kind of get into that a little bit, if, if Miami can chip away at that a little bit, but right now it's the bills division. And when you look at the AFC overall, they're what six, seven, eight, nine, somewhere in that range. They're, they're not at the top of the AFC. They're not, one of the teams that immediately comes to mind as, as a Super Bowl contender. So I would argue that it hasn't worked. Um, I think what, at least lately, what works in the NFL, ironically, didn't work for years either, is has been the big spending sprees. You know, what the Raiders, what the Rams did, um, you know, what the Bucks did. I mean, those two teams really brought in veteran quarterbacks and, and sign, what the Jets are trying to do this offseason. Right. Uh, has been really more effective than a than a complete and total rebuild. I don't know. You know, I, I think it still comes down to quarterbacks, and I think that's that's the one sort of thing that that everything's centered on in this league. Do the Rams and Bucks get away with what they were doing if they didn't get the seasons out of Stafford and, and Brady? They did in in those Super Bowl runs. You know, would the Colts quote unquote rebuild in twenty twelve have worked if Andrew Luck wasn't statistically one of the best rookie quarterbacks? in the history of the league, you know, I, I think it all comes down to that spot. If you get outstanding court, because again, who's going to follow Kansas city's model from this year, you know, the way to win the Super Bowl is let your best receiver walk and then have the best quarterback on the planet and, and win it all. Like with the hall of fame head coach, by the way, too, with the hall of fame head coach. Like I, I think the only constant in all of this is not just good play from your quarterback, but elite play, at least in that season, from the quarterback, I hate to say nothing else matters, but the league's almost showing you that it's pretty close to that. And like you've highlighted, like I rebuilds can work. I don't think they work as much as people actually think. And again, outside of the Matt Gay move, which is a little just head scratching and the salary he got, I don't, I, I think right now the Colts direction in sort of running it back and almost being in a wait and see, let's see how this roster with change cycle develops. Let's see how a lot of these young players who last year played poorly, was it a one-off or can they rebound? Like, again, can Michael Pittman Jr., I think a lot of his struggles last year, you could point to the quarterback carousel. Jonathan Taylor, same thing. You could point to Quentin Nelson. Was he just had a bad year or did he have a bad year because the left tackle was in and out, inexperienced or just bad? Ryan Kelly had a down year and the, and the you know, right guard was also a turnstile. Like, I don't mind where the Colts are roster-wise right now and a lot of the, the age of the guys on the roster – I don't think – like, I like where the Colts are right now direction-wise, and I don't think you have to declare we're in a rebuild, and obviously they're not going for it. And they, thank God this is the first – that's, I think, the one clear direction we can get uh, from this from this year. Mm-hmm. It's obvious. They're not going for it, at, uh, and that's the right move to make. But it's like even think, look at the division. Oh, sorry, George. You can go. You no, know, I was just going to say, I think along those lines, too, I think they're, they're relying a lot on internal improvement. Like, we were talking about the quarterback is a huge – piece of this puzzle the new head coach and Shane Steichen is a huge piece of this puzzle and the other part is all those guys that you just mentioned that had bad years they're expecting back back here they're expecting bounce back from Kenny Moore they're expecting a bounce back from Ryan Kelly they're expecting a bounce back from Quentin Nelson and a healthy Shaquille Leonard which we'll get into I'm sure a little bit later that's still in question that's enough to me that's the second biggest uh, storyline this offseason behind the quarterback is, you know, can Shaq Leonard come back and, and play at the level that he was at before? But if you add, you know, the Pro Bowl levels of those guys who we've seen play at, who, who we've seen make play Pro Bowls and Kenny Moore and Shaq Leonard and Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson, there's your big offseason additions. Right. And that's why, like, I don't mind. And I think 2023 should be basically a trial by fire. See what works and see what doesn't work. Again, the last few years, the Colts have gone all in really since Frank Wright got there. Um, it has been kind of, we're going for the playoffs, right? It, it's never kind of been, Oh, well, we'll see what happens or we're going to, you know, we're a few years away. Every, 
Andrew Luck in 2018 was a little tricky just because we had no idea what to expect. And, and you kind of quickly saw, even after a slow start, okay, this guy's got it back. And we'll, this is going to be a team that if Andrew Luck is good, can be a playoff team. But they try to run it back and make a playoff run in 2019. They did the same thing in 2020 and 2021 and 2022. This is the first year in a long time where it's truly, let's see what develops. Let's see with no expectations how this roster looks. I like that. Like, I like that approach because I think you kind of have to use year number one as an experimental year. And then you can start to chart your path forward of these are cornerstone guys we're keeping and extending. These are guys that, okay, we gave them one more chance. did not work out. We're not trying to win anyway this year with a rookie quarterback, especially the wins are not going to matter as much as the development on the field. And so these guys did perform. We gave them a chance. Okay, let's move on. And now we can kind of go into the offseason with this is an area need. And that's an area need. I like 2023 being a trial by fire. I think it has to be, especially when you're talking about a new head coach and a new quarterback. Let the guys play and and figure, let them basically decide who is going to be in this roster and who is not. And just to finish quickly, the rebuild point, look at the two teams in the division, the Texans and the Jaguars. The Jaguars had the number one pick or at least a top three pick in the draft for years, right? For years. And nothing ever got fixed until Trevor Lawrence. And really nothing ever got fixed even with Trevor Lawrence until Doug Peterson got there. So it's one of those things where you can strip it down. You can try to figure, you know, you could try to, we're going to sell everyone off. And then we're going to, like the Jaguars did for a while, build on the defense and draft defensive guys for a while. But it took them a very long time. And it's not even when they got the quarterback. It's when they got the coach that really Mm -hmm. kind of things took off. And now all of a sudden you see them a playoff team. And this year, a team that is going to be on a short list in terms of Super Bowl contenders. And you've got the Texans. Texans, at the end of the Bill O'Brien era, tore it down. And really, outside of Laramie Tunsil, traded anyone that they possibly could with value and got them out of there, got a ton of picks. And that also led to two coaches in two years being there and being fired. Now it feels like for the first time, they have their head coach, they believe in, D'Amico Ryans. 95% they're going to take a quarterback at pick number two. So they're going to have now their quarterback of the future. So now they're finally going for it. But if you make the wrong pick at head coach, if D'Amico Ryan's not as good as we think, or quarterback, and that guy just fails, all of that rebuilding was for naught. Like, it, it, it's a waste. Because then you have to restart all over again. And so it's just like one of those things. I don't mind to to finish up the point in terms of the direction when we started. And DeForest Buckner kind of bringing this up in terms of he doesn't want to be in a rebuild. I don't think you have to declare a rebuild because I think the, the true way you kind of get out of this uh, rut the Colts have been in is sitting on the coach and the quarterback. Obviously, we'll see Shane Sack can be able to do that, and we'll see if he's able to develop whatever quarterback they take in the draft. That's going to truly be the determining factor of if this works or not. I don't think you have to trade Taylor, trade Michael Pittman Jr., trade DeForest Buckner, trade Shaq Leonard, try to you know do the Dolphins did and get like five first round picks or do what the Thunder are doing and get 40 first round picks in the, in the next few drafts there in the NBA and try to have this thing work out. You hit the coach, you hit the quarterback, you could see things can turn very quickly. So I don't think you need to strip the roster down as much as maybe conventionally thought even like five or 10 years ago. Yeah, you know, and again, you know, I I think the most important point there is just the coach and the quarterback. I mean, that's what that's what wins in this league. And I think that's probably the only real through line for the the last few Super Bowl champs. The Chiefs twice, the Rams and and the Bucks. And you're talking what Bruce Arians. you know, Sean McVay and, and Andy Reid and then Stafford, Brady and, and Mahomes. So, yeah, that's that's where it's at. Uh, it once again, the most important thing this team is going to do this entire offseason is select a quarterback. And, you know, that's going to chart that's going to chart the path forward. All the rest of it will matter because you're going to have to shore up things around him. Uh, I think the one thing, you know, just for me to close off this part of the argument, the one thing that that concerns me about the the path is that I don't know that the situation is all that great right now for the rookie coming into. There's not a lot of weapons, uh, at least not proven weapons. It's still younger guys. You got a line that you're hoping is coming back to its, you know, former self, but the last year and a half has not been good with them. Uh, so there's some concerns with protection. That duo there, I you know, if I had a rookie quarterback coming in, I'd feel better if I had a couple more weapons out there and if I had a little bit more competition on the offensive line. Now, we'll see. Those things may get added during the draft. Ballard's shown in the past that he can add even into the summer on the offensive line. Uh, so, you know, we'll see how all that works out. But right now, that's my one concern. I just wonder 
outside of the coaching staff, is this really a great landing spot for a rookie quarterback right now? I would argue you think Jonathan Taylor would have a bounce back season. I like Michael Pittman Jr. Um, I think he could be a very productive and very reliable receiver. I think, again, we talked about this on Tuesday's pod as well. Make sure to check it out, Blue Horseshoe Pod. Uh, they definitely need still more weapons in their receiver room, and I think that will come as we go. But kind of like what the Eagles did, you know, you had Jalen Hurts go, that, go through that first year. Now, granted, the roster in Philly for Jalen Hurts' first year as a starter compared to the rookie quarterback this year, the Philly roster is way better, right? Don't get me wrong. That roster is way better. But you saw the A.J. Brown trade for the Eagles last year happen a year after Jalen Hurts was uh, in the system. I could see this time next year, if Chris Bauer is still the GM or if not, whoever the GM is, really then being aggressive and kind of seeing, okay, this is what a Shane Steichen offense looks like. This is what a Shane Steichen-led team looks like. Now let's go be aggressive and getting the pieces to fit that offense in. I think also part of it, like you hear the Colts talk about a lot, especially Shane, uh, Shane Steichen. They're going to fit the offense to what the quarterback does. And so I think a little bit of the tricky part for the culture now when you're a holding pattern is we believe, I would say it's a pretty good chance it's going to be either Will Levis or, or Anthony Richardson. There's an opportunity where it could be C.J. Stroud. There's still a chance it could be Hendon Hooker as well. Four different quarterbacks. I think once you get the quarterback come draft night on your team and then you see how you, know, how you want to build the offense in the first year, I think that's when we could really see this team be aggressive in terms of then going to maybe get a receiver that fits what they want to do well, or, you know, get an offensive lineman, maybe a tackle that blocks in the scheme that they want to block in better than right now what they know. I'm sure they have an idea of the kind of Shane Sykin offense, right? You have an overall general picture, but I think once you get that quarterback on your roster, now you know, okay, this is the guy we have, and this is the style we're going for. Now we could start to fit the puzzle pieces um, around him but I think in order to do that, I think first you need an idea, an identity of what the offense is going to look like. And that that to me won't happen until you get that quarterback on your roster. And then you could really start to push forward here and build uh, the offense um, in the identity of the quarterback. I want to ask you this. Oh. That's very fair. That's, I think, you know, talking about like the Steichen offensive line, uh, from everything you hear, he wants more athletic guys, more – guys who can move, you know, which the Colts have done a little bit in the past. Anyway, some of those guys are already here. Right. Quentin um, Nelson is, but I think even more in that, you know, even more in that, that, that vein. And, and maybe those guys just aren't available right now. Well, it's also true. And the free agent market was crap. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was depleted. Not that the Colts are players in that pool anyway. Um, but yeah, that's, I think that's also part of it too. Just there's the availability right now is not where, the Colts could have easily, I think, gotten a piece or two because there are so many guys out there and there's a, there's a surplus of uh, valuable pieces that they could have added this offseason for sure. But I want to ask you this question about DeForest Buckner's comments because he also hinted the fact that with Stephon Gilmore, it seemed like Stephon, Stephon Gilmore wanted to go to a place entering year 12 where he could win right away. And DeForest Buckner, again, said he doesn't want to be in a rebuild. But you look, okay, it's a first-time head coach in Shane Sykin. 95% it's going to be a first-time rookie quarterback, or if not, it's going to be Gardner Minshew starting most of the year anyway. So either way, the quarterback tells you they're not ready to win in 2023. The head coach is new. How far away? Because DeForest Buckner doesn't at least seem to think that the Colts are in a rebuild. I mean, he's kind of talked about it. You, you, they're not sure. They're not stripping it down, but they're not exactly ready to win right now. So call it a retooling, call whatever you want. They're not a playoff team in 2023, probably not in 2024. How far away realistically? Do you think the Colts are from being a, a playoff contender again to where DeForest Buckner can feel like, okay, now we're back to winning and wins is the most important thing, not development? I think based on Buckner's comments, I think he feels like two years. I think he's saying, because if you look at the difference that he was saying about, he's in year eight and, and Gilmore's in year 12. I think he's saying he's willing to not punt a year, but go through a year that you just described where it's kind of an evaluation year. You're trying to see which of these young guys stick you're trying to find out about this young quarterback. How does he tick? How can we make him better? You know, where where do you need the improvements? Um, I think best case scenario is two years on the exact plan that you just laid out. You come in this year and you're really saying, not that it's everyone for themselves, but you're really saying, prove it to me. Show me you belong on this team. Show me you're going to be a part of the next playoff team here in Indianapolis. And then next year, 
would be the expectation to go and chase that. Um, I think realistically, it's probably going to be more like three or four. I don't know how many times it's happened in the league in a year or two. We've seen it it, every year. There's somebody who goes from last place to, you know, division champs. Jacksonville just went from the number one overall pick to the division title. Um, So it's not out of the question that it would happen in two. And I think that that's a realistic expectation. But I just looking at things right now. And the way this team's not really been one to go in and, and spend, you look at that Jacksonville offseason, every one of those moves didn't hit. Um, you know, I think they already cut Shaquille Griffin, for instance. Um, but they went out and spent a lot of money, and that had that played a role in them going from the number one overall pick to where they were. Getting Doug Peterson played a big role in that. The jump for Trevor Lawrence played a big role in that. But does it happen without Christian Kirk? They got killed for him. You know, why did you spend that money on him? And it may still be a contract that was more than it should have been, but they knew they needed that piece in particular to get this quarterback where he needed to go. I still have doubt the Colts will do that. And we'll see. I don't know. I still have doubts that they'll go and overspend for a guy like that. I think it's still going to be the Isaiah McKenzie's of the world that are coming through here. Uh, And that's why I think it's going to be closer to three or four years, because I think it's going to be more of a draft driven, you know, rise. And there's nothing wrong with that. That usually sticks a little bit longer. A lot of these teams that spend the big money, you know, find themselves in the situation the Rams are right now, which I still would say is not a bad situation. You've got a Super Bowl title. You still got a pretty good quarterback and you obviously are willing to spend and and trade assets, bring in more good players. But that's what usually happens. It's not it's not going to be a five or 10 year run. It's going to be a two or three year run when you bring in the big money guys. Um and, but I do think, you know, those, those are the trade-offs, I guess, in, in both of those approaches. You bring in the big money guys, you can win faster, but your window is going to be shorter. If you do it through the draft, it's going to take longer to get to where you're winning the, most of the time. And But your window is going to be longer if your quarterback doesn't retire at 29. That is also true. I will say realistically, if you have Henton Hooker, Will Levis, or Anthony Richardson as your quarterback, I would say 2025. That's the year where the Colts, I think, can go in there with legitimate and realistic expectations to be a playoff team. If C.J. Stroud somehow falls and you're able to get him at three or four, I think you can bump that up to 2024. I think you can use C.J. Stroud's rookie year as a litmus test and, again, have everyone on the roster in 2023, like I said, basically play for your contract and see who's going to stay and who's going to go. I do think we will see bounce-back years for Michael Pittman Jr., Jonathan Taylor, Obviously, Shaq Leonard, I think, will be back and assuming he's ready to go, at least if 2023 is a year where he knocks the rust off, I feel confident saying that in 2024, he'll be back to that all-pro level that we've seen. You give Quiddy Pay and Dio Dangbo another year to develop. Like I really do think 2023 can be a developmental year, especially with Stroud. And I think 2024, you can go in there legitimately thinking we can get a wild card spot. We can be in the mix here um, to go, you know, make the postseason run because uh, I think he's the most pro ready. I think he'll play from week one, CJ Stroud. And I think obviously he's the second best quarterback in this draft class. But if you do get a project, if you do get to do someone like Anthony Richardson, who start will not start right away, Hedden Hooker, who will miss time with an injury. And even Will Levis, even if Will Levis plays right away, I still think he needs developmental time and still is one of those guys that will need more time to develop and is not as pro ready as a guy like CJ Stroud. So I think 2025 realistically is for those three quarterbacks a uh, time where you can kind of circle and say, this is when we're going to be playoff contenders. And if DeForest Buckner is okay with waiting another two years um, before you kind of get to a season where there are the le- legitimate expectations, God bless. You'll be 31 by then. And if you want to stick around, go for it. Um, but I, I do think three years for the most part, again, outside of, the luck of Stroud dropping again. I think mean, three years is realistic where the Colts should be. And I hope, again, that's, I don't have a problem with that, George. Like, I don't know if you do or you think it should be better. Like, I don't right now have a problem being patient if there is a real plan in place and you see legitimate progress. Like, if they have a plan with Anthony Richardson where they tell you, first 12 games, we're going to sit him, develop him, we'll play him a little bit, kind of get his feet wet, use the last month of the season as kind of a testing ground. And then 2024, it's really going to be okay. What can we kind of get out of him? What can we really see uh, from him? I have no problem with with a plan if you actually have an end goal in 2025 and you're going to make moves to get to where you want. So I don't have a problem being patient. And that's why I think 2025 is realistic. And I don't think it's 
it's too rushed, and I don't think it's too long either. I think if you draft a rookie quarterback, you you have to be patient. I mean, uh, Joe Burrow got hurt during his rookie season, but he also went through rookie growing pains. I think they won four games that year, maybe three, something along those lines. It was a rough year, you know, and, year. and I think that's what you expect. You you start a rookie quarterback. One of the things, one of the trade offs that you're you're going to do there is they're going to make mistakes. And you understand that and you're going to live with that because you're hoping that those mistakes are going to make them better down the road. Now, year two, the Bengals go to the Super Bowl and year three, they go to the AFC championship game and are, you know, maybe one really poor decision by a defensive lineman away from going back to the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, obviously it's worked really quickly there. Um, and it was mostly a draft driven rise. I mean, it, it's Burrow and, and Chase. Um you know, they that's really what's fueling that. There's been some free agents in there, but not really big name, you know, off the charts. And they've even lost a couple of guys. I mean, Carl Lawson, I think, uh, was, you know, rising defensive end for them and went to the Jets. And and they've been able to to overcome that and just keep on growing. Um, so I think it can work even on the draft side quickly if you hit on your picks and and you like you said, if you have a plan. Uh, in in a really detailed one, and I think that's, I think also it, it helps if you have an extra special quarterback. I would put Burrow right up there at the top of the league, you know, top five ish kind of a guy, um, and that's where it gets back to. And I, I'm gonna harp on this all off season, but that's where it gets back to. I'd be a lot more willing to be patient had they traded up to number one. You know, I, I still, you are counting on a quarterback that the rest of the league chose for you to develop and to build around, uh, including one of the teams in your division uh, that helped shape who, which quarterback you're getting here. That's a dangerous game to play. That's at the end of the, at the end of the day, I think that's where a lot of my pessimism for this offseason comes from. I'm still not convinced. Yeah. It's a deep quarterback class on paper. Um, one of the deeper ones in a while, honestly, I, I can't remember uh, really the last time they were talking about four quarterbacks in the top four. I know mean, that's never happened. Uh, but even four quarterbacks in the top 10 is an ultra rare situation. Now, will they all hit? History says no. One will, maybe two. Um, and now I think the Colts have got to hope that they've got one of those guys. If they do, this process moves up exponentially. You know, if that guy is the right guy and you're able to build around him the way you were talking – the way the Bengals did, you know, get those pieces in place uh, that fill the holes, and and then it can happen really quick. If it takes a little longer with that guy, uh, that's I think that's something that that fans need to be patient with. That's where I think the patience comes into play, because that's and Ballard's been setting the table for that. He's been saying, you know, don't rush the judgment that that too many times. Uh, you don't want to throw the, the rookies out because they have a bad first year or sometimes a bad first month. Uh, and I remember people were trying to throw Jamar Chase out of Cincinnati in the preseason. <laughs> remember that? Because he couldn't catch the ball with the without the college white stripes on it. Right. You know, so I think that worked out okay. So we'll see. I mean, I think that's where the patient comes into play. So we, we got to understand it's not always the Joe Burrow model. Two is, I think, a good example. Still not quite take away the concussion element, which is horrible and, and frightening and, and changes a lot of things here. But just what he's done on the field, there's been a steady progress, progression. And I think you're still, if, if Miami's being honest, they're still not 100% sure what they've got. Things are trending in the right direction outside of health, which is a major question mark. But just for terms of this argument, we, even without that component, there's still some questions. There's good. It's it's moving in the right direction. But I think that's more often the way this goes. You know, even Josh Allen was a little bit of an accelerated run, and and he took a little while. It was a year or two. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. You know, b before he hit. So I think that's something that, that that's going to be important to keep in mind uh, for all of us. You know, media involved. That that hey, it, it's not necessarily going to happen overnight. Wins and losses in 2023 are irrelevant. So if, I think. The expectation should be, or the goal should be, be like the Bears, where they have Justin Fields, and I know he's been there a little bit before, but last year, especially with Justin Fields, with a new coaching staff, really got the range for the first time, 
and the Bears sucked, right? They had the number one overall pick. But at least if you're Chicago, you felt good enough that we have a guy we believe in that we're going to start to build around. We have seen enough, even though the wins weren't there, we've seen enough to where we think we put weapons and continue to develop him. He will be one of you know the best franchise quarterbacks in the league, and he could be our guy for the next decade. So even though the wins were not there and the Bears had the number one overall pick, they're able to use that year last year as, okay, a breeding ground, a building ground. We This is what we like. He's our guy. Now we're going to get, you know, we're going to get assets and we're going to make moves to now build around him. Field still has question marks, but at least the Bears felt confident enough that this is our guy. If we could sit here this time next year, George, and I don't care if the Colts are 0-17, but if they feel good enough that Richardson, Levis, Hooker, C.J. Stroud is their guy moving forward, that to me is a win. That is a win in 2023 if you feel like, okay, there is definitely so far we've seen enough to where we feel like we can go ahead and move forward with this quarterback. And if we put him in the right situation, he will succeed. So which goes back to patience and goes back to 2023 being a, a prove it year where wins do not matter. It's the it first feels- time in a long time and it's not refreshing, but that at least having the bar low and seeing that direction, that's at least as a fan gives me reason for optimism um, going ahead. Fields is a really good example because the Bears weren't ready for him as a rookie. They didn't have a plan. They they were gonna redshirt him. Uh, he didn't do much at all in 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 training camp. They were gonna roll with Andy Dalton. He was gonna be their guy. And then when Fields got in there, he was running Andy Dalton's offense. He wasn't running an offense that highlighted his strengths. And I think that's that's another key element. We're talking about this rebuild versus remodel versus retool, whatever you want to call it. We know where DeForest Buckner stands on this, but right. you know, whatever you want to call it, having that plan for the quarterback is, is essential. And I think that's going to be the most important element of this. You can't bring in the four guys that you talked about earlier, Richardson, Levis, Stroud, Hooker. You can't bring in one size fits all there. That's not the way it's going to work. They each need for various reasons, a different plan around them, a different, you know, you're going to run the ball more with some of them. You're going to throw the ball you want it out more quickly with some of them. You're going to emphasize the deep ball more with some of them. You know, it. I felt like the Bears, when they brought in Justin Fields, it was almost like they weren't even ready to draft a rookie quarterback. It was sort of like they were just sitting there on draft day and were like, oh, he's falling. Let's just go get him. And there was no plan. Nope. And they wasted that first year. And then the coaching staff gets fired and you bring in Matt Eberflus. And then you had a second year of pain to finally get to where you hope you're building forward. The Colts have to avoid that. Uh, it won't be the coach that, that pays the price here. I think it'll be the GM in this case, given where the Colts are and coming off of last year. If if you bring in a quarterback now at four this year and you don't have a plan and it's a wasted year, I think that's what would cost Chris Ballard his job. Uh, so, and I don't, think they'll, I don't think they'll do that, but I do, there is a little bit of a danger there because they've not picked a lane with the quarterback. They haven't said, you know, we're going to be aggressive. This is the guy we want. When you let a guy fall to you, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because you're going to have to put that plan together. And it didn't start in January. It's going to start on April 27th when he's picked. So we'll get to Shane Sykin's comments here in a little bit. For me, it was telling in one way, at least revealed one thing about their thinking the draft. Let's hear what that is here in a little bit. But speaking of quarterbacks and development and getting them, you know, to play at a level where you feel good enough uh, for them to, you know, move forward and be the guy, that also involves having weapons around them to to make them better. You know, Jonathan Taylor is there. We know Michael Pittman Jr. is also there. And Michael Pittman Jr. was one of the one of the players who did meet the media on Wednesday, George. He was asked about a contract extension, gave the classic cliche player answer of, oh, you know, I don't want to get into that. So I pay my agent. He takes care of that messy stuff. I just want to focus on football. He did mention, which I thought was interesting, that there have been at least preliminary talks at different points in the offseason about, you know, broaching a contract extension. But it has been so far uh, three years for Michael Pippen Jr. where it's been up and down production. I think more of that is on the quarterback than him. But would you, George, do you think Michael Pippen Jr. so far has done enough to deserve a contract extension? Or kind of what we were just talking about before, is this a prove-it year for a lot of people? Forget just being on the roster in 2024. Is this going to be a prove-it year for Pittman to say, hey, do you or can you show that you deserve the big money? Yeah, it's tough because, like you said, the evaluation is is so hard here with the you know the, the ever changing quarterbacks and especially this last year, three guys in one year. 
uh, and none of them really taking advantage of the deep ball. So he had 99 catches, but he didn't have a thousand yards, uh, which is really, really rare. Um, I, I think that's, I would not probably resign him just yet because you've only got one really good year out of three. And, and there's reasons for that, that we just detailed, but now you've got a rookie quarterback. And I think it goes back to, to what you said at the very beginning here, which I think is a really salient point. And I think it's something that's going to, we're going to see play out this evaluation factor, you know, and, and who works well with this rookie quarterback. I think that's a big part now with, with Pittman. If, if you get this rookie in here and you start to see that connection, that Andrew Luck and T.Y. Hilton had right away. Uh, you know, even Wentz had a good connection early on with Pittman. Uh, if you see that kind of connection, I think that's going to be a big determining factor. But if the kid clicks more with, you know, Pierce, for instance, maybe it leads you the other way. Um, so I, I, I do think this is one of those wait and see. And, you know, Pittman pretty much said that. One of his other comments was that if, if he produces – that's what leads to the contract. So, you know, go out and have a big year and then they'll want to bring you back. Um, I think he understands, you know, his dad was in the league for 11 years as a running back. I'm sure he's, he's talked to him about these kind of situations. Uh, and I think he knows, you know, he can talk all he wants in the media. He can lobby for a, a contract uh, and it wouldn't lead anywhere. So he's not even trying. And I think he's, I think he's made the right approach. You know, he's basically said, look, my, my agent will handle that. My job is to go out and be the best I can be on the field. What I thought was interesting about Pittman this year is he stayed in Indy. You know, normally he's out in California. Now his wife's pregnant. He did, he did kind of drop that bomb too. He's going to have a second child here. Uh, I think he said next month. Uh, so I'm sure that factored into it. You probably don't want to travel as much uh, in that situation. But it's just it's interesting. He's been around the building he was at the combine. He was on the field uh, before the quarterbacks threw, talking to some of those guys down there, uh, mostly hanging out with his receivers coach, Reggie Wayne. But that kind of thing is different. You know, and I think it shows a commitment on his part to, you know, he. it just feels like a lot of this offseason has been him trying to show this team that he's going to be there for them. He's always been a leader. You know, Reggie Wayne talked about him being the leader of that room last year. He's as a young guy, uh, but I think he's trying to be even more of that that person. And, and I think that factors into this as well. But I really think at the end of the day, his extension is dependent on how he clicks with the rookie quarterback. I would give an extension because I think this year you can get him on the cheap. Like we've seen, right? Wide receiver salaries explode. And he's not going to be in the Tyreek Hill $30 million a year range, right? That's obviously off the board, not a question. But if you can get him, I don't know, five for 90, somewhere in that range, like I think he's exactly what you want, exactly what you need, where he's one of those tough, hard nosed, over the middle receivers. He's not a burner, but he gets you a lot of those tough catches. And I think he could be one of those guys that, when, especially when you get a quarterback there for more than one year and you can get a little bit more chemistry developed, I think he's going to be that go-to third-down receiver, third and seven, slant in the middle, boom, there's Michael Pittman Jr. coming up clutch. I think he will be that security blanket for whichever young quarterback the Colts do get. So I think we'll see a bounce back, even with a rookie quarterback, and those kind of sometimes always volatile um, with how they play. I think we could see a bounce back year from Michael Pittman Jr. And if I'm Chris Ballard, I will get to work now just to try to get a discount compared to if he goes over a thousand yards and enters for agency. Now you get a little bit more of a bidding war compared to what you could do now. And again, when you have a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal, you're able to give Michael Pittman Jr. money. You can give John and Taylor an extension because right now, at least for the next three or four years, you know, you have a quarterback in the most important position and the most expensive position, the cheapest you could possibly get. I would take advantage of that now. And again, assuming the money is not insane, right? assuming Michael Pittman Jr. is not sitting there asking for top five wide receiver money, I would try to get a deal done now because I think you can get a, a, a cheaper deal done and maybe get a little bit of a discount now while the stock is a little bit low coming off a down year compared to what you would get if he does have a great year and now you're bidding against other teams in free agency this time next year. I mean, I do think that's the strategy that, that you want to use and it's the way most teams go. I just don't think Pittman's of that mindset. I mean, again, his dad played in the league. He's a really savvy guy. 
I don't think he's going to be willing to take a, a, a discount. I think he, and I, and I really, from the way he talked, I think he's more of the mindset of bet on myself, go out there, have the big year and, and make them pay me, but we'll see how it plays out. I think you've got to try it. I, I just think in, I think with the way uh, the, the intelligence that Pittman has, the maturity that Pittman has, the history uh, that he's seen with his dad in this league and his dad's teammates and uh, understanding really the way the business works. I think he's a guy that's going to want to bet on himself. And that's, that's what I took away from his comments uh, the other day, you know, that, that he's willing to just say, you know what, I'm going to roll with it. There's going to be a rookie quarterback. Uh, he did say that the chain cycle is going to throw the ball a lot. And he's excited about that. Uh, I think he's going to bet on himself and, and, and try to, you know, make the Colts or whoever pay up for his services. That's the case. And nothing you can do right. If you're Chris Bauer, but I at least try, like I said, try to get in the door now quickly before, like I said, if, they're throwing the ball a lot and Pittman is getting a lot of catches and getting a lot of yards and driving uh, that price up. That's for sure. Speaking of Shane Steichen, like you mentioned, Michael Pittman Jr. Seems so far very excited in the early days of how this offense is going to look. I thought Shane Steichen made some interesting comments, not exactly surprising, not exactly different. Um, but he was asked, are you, you know, are you interested in Lamar Jackson? And basically his answer was, you know, we're focused on the draft. We're focused on the guys we have in the building. I, at this point, George, with two weeks to go for the draft, exactly as we record here on Thursday, I get the sense between what Shane Second has repeatedly said, we're focused on the guys in the draft, what Chris Ballard has said, what Jim Irsay has said, and he has made it known that he is very excited to draft a quarterback in this draft. I have gotten to the point where I think there's only three quarterbacks the Colts will take, and I think there is no chance they will pass on a quarterback at pick three or pick four. I think the only three quarterbacks now that are realistic options for the Colts are CJ Stroud, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson. I don't see a situation where even if they don't trip to number three, and let's say the Titans do it, I don't see a situation where at four, they trade back, don't take a quarterback, um, and draft Will Anderson or the best defensive player on the board. I don't see a situation where then they try to gamble and either pick 35 or trade back up into the first round and try to get Hendon Hooker. I think with the way you've heard everyone talk, I'm going to put the pieces together as to me, that leads to they are dead set on taking a quarterback. They're going to take one either at pick three or pick four. And I think we could confidently either at pick one or pick two, say Bryce Young's going to be off the board so that the Panthers or Texans are going to take him. I think whether it's Will Levis that's sitting there at four, whether it's Anthony Richardson or whether it's CJ Shroud, I don't think the Colts pass up, but they do think they take a quarterback. So I get it. it's not earth-shattering. Shane Sykes has really not changed much from the company line when he said that. But I think to me that just when you hear the Colts talk about draft, 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 I don't think they're going to risk in passing on a quarterback at four to hope to get maybe even Will Levis later on in the first round or try to get Hendon Hooker in the second round. George, do you think at pick four, um, even if three quarterbacks are off the board, are you confident right now the Colts will take a quarterback at four, no matter what happens, the first three picks. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I do think we we saw Shane Sykin close the door on Lamar Jackson. We know that. Um, you know that those comments, not that that door was very wide open anymore. Anyway, not a shock exactly. He just sort of locked the the already closed door there. Um, but I do think they will. I because I agree with everything you just said. You know, I I think that they're. I think there's three guys. I think it's those three guys. And I think that's where Jim Mercy's confidence is coming from. I think they have over the course of the past month or so since the combine uh, month and a half, whatever it's been that they they've come to the conclusion that they like all three of these guys. And and again, we talked about it briefly last on the last pod. Uh, you know, I think there's reasons why it's accuracy with, with CJ shroud, it's ceiling and, and upside with Anthony Richardson and it's leadership with Will Levis. I think they feel like that one outstanding trait from each of them uh, is worth it, you know, at, at number four. And it's something that, that Shane Sykin can build around and that they can win with. Uh, I do think there should be a question, though, if quarterbacks go one, two and three, which I think in and of itself is unprecedented. I, I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but I don't think I know quarterbacks have never gone one, two, three and four. I don't think they've ever gone one, two and three. We had in 2020, in did we? Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. See, that's why I, I traded up. Not, not thinking of Zach Wilson as a quarterback, clearly. So it has happened one, two, and three. When the quarters pulled that fast, yeah, it's easy to forget about him. No, and that's a good point. So, you know, it has happened. Um, 
four has never happened that that much we know and and there's a lot of talk it could happen this year i think probably if, if i'm a betting man i think it will happen if somebody trades up with arizona uh at three i think there will be quarterbacks go one two three and four for why you just said but i think they're gonna have to have a long conversation about will anderson uh and it goes back to your patience mantra uh, just because if you really believe that will anderson is the best defender in this draft some people say the best player in this draft and he's sitting there at four. I know you're going to get roasted uh, by the media, by the fan base. Uh, it will be a very unpopular pick in the moment, you know, but so is Donovan McNabb in Philly. So I don't know how much you worry about that. If you have the conviction, I think you have to have that conversation because that's the, probably the next most important spot to fill in the NFL is that elite pass rusher. And if that guy's staring you in the face and you don't believe Richardson or Levis is elite, that's the big question. You know, if you don't believe that they are next level, you at least have to have that conversation about Will Anderson. I think ultimately the still Jesus quarterback, uh, obviously that position is, is of utmost importance. And I think it's very clear that the owner is on board with that approach uh, and is driving that train right now. But I, I think you at least have to talk about Will Anderson uh, and, and consider moving the quarterback decision to 2024. Does your answer change depending on who is there? Like, it, does it is that if Anthony Richardson mm-hmm. is off the board or is that still, hey, let's say Will Levis goes number three and you, you're sitting there either Anthony Richardson or Will Levis, uh, or, excuse me, Anthony Richardson or Will Anderson Jr. at pick number four. Are you saying that you have to consider Will Anderson Jr. just if it's him or Levis? Or are you saying even if it's Richardson or Levis, it doesn't matter. You still have to have a long, hard conversation. If quarterbacks go one, two, and three, that you should take Anderson over the fourth quarterback that's right now there, assuming Stroud and Young, bare minimum, are the first two off the board. Yeah, for me, it, it would be Levis. Uh, if okay. Richardson's there, I think you still got to take the, the 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 upside there is just too it, – it's too – enticing to not take him at four uh, even with will anderson there but with levis it's not that there is an upside there is those 23 turnovers the 23 interceptions the last two years really caused me concern especially when again as i talked about earlier in the show the gm has repeatedly said that's why things didn't work last season um i would take a lot i'm not saying i would take will anderson i want to make that clear it would be a hard decision for me I would I would take a long look at that one um, because obviously if you do take Will Anderson, you've still got that problem at quarterback. You're pretty much guaranteeing that you're moving on to another guy again in 2024. And I think that would be what nine straight years. Uh, it's starting to be like that Browns jersey hmm. now that, that was out there. Um, so I get it. You know, I, there's there's a case to make it Levis no matter what. But if it was Will, if it was Will versus Will. I would sit down and and have a real strong conversation. And that's not a knock on Levis. I think he's got a chance to to do really well in this league and to to be a guy who leads teams to the playoffs on a perennial basis. Um, he seems like a. I think he scored a ninety three on the on the S two. I think that leaked. Um, so he's a very smart kid. Clearly, um, he seems really driven. I know that that's a piece that that Shane Steichen's talked about a lot. Is the obsession? You know, he seems to have that. It's hard to gauge. But just the way he talks about the game, it feels like he's going to be one of those guys that, you know, is is out there till midnight throwing with Michael Pittman if he thinks he needs to be. Um, but Will Anderson is generational here. I feel like he's gotten lost in, in the sauce here a little bit because of all the quarterback talk. It would be a tough call for me. Look, you know my feelings on Caleb Williams and, and planning to 2024. He is the guy, George, every single time, right? We talk about it. You always give the two fingers to the fight on. That is, with Bryce Young out of the picture, that to me is is the best case scenario now going forward is getting Caleb Williams in 2024. But at this point, if you're the Colts, I think you, I would, if it was me, if I was Chris Bowers, I would take a quarterback at four no matter what. Just because best case scenario, the team stinks and you get the first overall pick and you can get Caleb Williams and you can trade whoever you take, Richardson or Levis, ship them off. Worst case scenario, you don't take a quarterback, you win... Five games, four games, maybe, let's say. And you miss out on the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. And now you're sitting there, pick three or four. 
maybe United in the in the um area for Drake May. And the two teams that are there are not trading down like the Bears just were at the pick number one. So you don't have any way to get pick number one or pick number two, and you miss the two best quarterbacks in that draft class. And now you're sitting there again, hands out, empty handed, not knowing what you're gonna do with quarterback. I hate to just take a quarterback, but at this point, I've res- resigned to the fact that if I was at pick four, even if it's Will Levis, who's someone that we've talked about on the pod a lot, not a big fan of, I would take him. Hope it, you know, try to develop him. Believe in Shane Sykin that he can get the best of any quarterback. And at least if, again, you win three, four, or five games next year, you at least have something to look at quarterback-wise rather than going to 2024, hoping to get a number one overall pick and not getting it. That is, that is I just don't want to go into next year hoping to get a quarterback, trying to tank it basically, and this team being better than we think. Some of the guys playing better. And again, even though you're still bad, you're talking about a 5-12 and 12 team. Not good enough to get the number one or number two overall pick. And it's still then another situation where your quarterback situation is not fully solved. So that's I why at this quarterback point. quarterback is the right move here. I I, I, you know, I want to be clear on that uh, because of everything you just said. I mean, it's just been the carousel has been rolling here for a while. Uh, and the owner is definitely on board with quarterback. We know that. I, but I just, for me, Will Anderson would come into the conversation. I don't think he will on, on draft night. I really don't. I don't think it'll be a conversation in, in, in the war room. I want to be clear on that too. The other thing I want to say quickly, because I thought, like we talked about this a few weeks ago, either to me, best case scenario, you could say is stick in a four, maybe Will Anderson Jr. They gain, uh, then getting Hendon Hooker uh, at pick 35 in round two. Also, it's kind of moved me off of Hendon Hooker is just not his play or his, his himself. Right now you're hearing his name a, a ton. There's a lot of buzz around Hendon Hooker. So mm-hmm. my fear is if you go Will Anderson Jr. at four, I don't know. Like, I don't think the Colts can then afford to wait to pick 35 for Hendon Hooker to come and sit in your lap. I think a team's going to be aggressive, either trading above the Colts in round two or trading back into the first round to get Hendon Hooker. And at that point, like, I just don't see the, the reason to pass on a quarterback than to just use that pick 35 to trade back into the first round and, and give up more draft assets to go get Henton Hooker at, I don't know, pick 20 or 25, something like that. I like that would have been, if you could tell me guaranteed you can get Henton Hooker at pick 35, I'm in, then go Will Anderson at, at four and get Henton Hooker in the second round. Just right now with the buzz you're hearing, a lot of stock kind of riding up for Henton Hooker, I just would not feel comfortable right now if I'm Chris Ballard banking on the fact that Hooker will be there in the second round. And I think that means you have to give up draft as, uh, draft capital to move over to get him. And at that point, just take then the quarterback that's sitting there at four. We don't have to give up anything to go get him. Yeah. No, and I, you know, my plan for a long time was Will Anderson and, and then Hendon Hooker. And and I'm, I am leery of it for the same reason. Um, you know, I, I just wonder how much that's true. I mean, there's still some real question marks with Hooker. Uh, oh, yeah. The age, you know, is, is going to come up a lot. The injury is obviously concerning. There's a lot of question about that Tennessee offense. He he oh. took that head on uh, at, at the combine. Um, so I, you know, I don't know, but I I'm still with you as much as I sit there and say, I'm not sure that he'll actually go in the first round, that that's not just April lying that happens around here. Um, I don't know if I'm confident enough in that to actually risk it. If I was Chris Ballard, you know, to actually say, okay, well, I'll call the league's bluff. I'll go ahead and draft Will Anderson and, and see what happens. I don't know if I would do that. Same. At this point, I, I would not either. Um, I am buying into it. Maybe we're letting, the, the, like I said, the lying season impact me too much, but he's a big risk to pass and then hope he's going to be there. Um, it's it's good. You know, it's it's tough. But, yeah, I would, at this point, just say quarterback a pick four. We're going to do it. I think he, the way you hear Shane Steichen, Chris Ballard, Jim Mercer, all kinds of talk about draft, 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 draft. I don't think you put all that focus and attention on taking a quarterback in the draft with your plan being, oh, we're going to take Hendon Hooker pick 35. I think you're going to go for the, the bird in the hand, which is going to be at pick four, take whoever uh, is there. Maybe trade up to number three if the board breaks your way. But either way, pick three, pick four. I feel 100% in saying they're taking a quarterback um, with that pick. All right. Would we are- the most chaos-inducing move be if they took Hooker at four? I don't think that'll happen, but would that be the Ooh. most chaotic thing that could happen on draft day? I think there, I mean, I would say there's less than a 1% chance of that. 
I think taking Will Anderson Jr. would cause more chaos than taking Hendon Hooker. But it's close, though. It's close. There's I'm always excited. Of... I'm always looking for chaos. You know that that's always fun. So, what I, would I cause like the, the most? I like chaos? the storms. Yeah, that's a good question. Wow, what would cause? I think it would be Will Anderson Jr. because it's not a quarterback, but Hendon Hooker for taking that is definitely by far the most waves you can make if you're Chris Ballard, um, in terms of taking a quarterback for sure. Uh, there's no other like they're not trading up to number two. They're not getting Bryce Young. They're not trading to number one. The Panthers at this point are not trading down even though they were open to it, or at least allegedly reportedly open to it earlier this year. <laughs> that would have been so weird. Trade up to number one. Oh, actually, we're going to drop down back to number four. Yeah, that's <laughs> that would have caused some ways for sure, but that's a, maybe that's a poll question you can put out there, George. Just to get I was going to say, you want to ask, ask ask the Colts Nation here? Yeah. You know, what, what would be more chaotic? What would be a more chaotic pick at number four? Will Anderson Jr. or Hendon Hooker? Please let us know. We can actually talk about that, I think, more on the next pod when we drop uh, on Tuesday. But let us know. Tweet us at GM Brummers. You can find George on Twitter. Find me at Ryan underscore Hickey, number three. Comment on our YouTube section. What is more chaotic, Anderson or Hooker? Where you can find us on YouTube, Blue Horseshoe Pod. Make sure you subscribe while you're there. All of our podcasts are in video form on YouTube as well. And uh, make sure you leave us a review on Spotify and Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Blue Horseshoe Pod with the bright blue logo is where you can find our brand new feed. And that's where every single new episode gets dropped off to. So let us know on social media, on YouTube, wherever you get your pods, what in your mind would, would be a more chaotic move? Will Anderson Jr. at pick number four or Hendon Hooker? On that note, we'll let you think about it. We'll let you discuss in your brain, get your answer. We'll give you the full weekend to do so. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again on Tuesday right here on the Blue Horseshoe Podcast.